Hello and welcome back to The Director's Diary. My name is Alex Palmer. It's no one's intention ever to share a diary, so if you're listening to this, keep it close and use it well. This week's guest is, for me, so inspiring. I left my conversation with Kate McGrath feeling amazed at her journey, but also of her convictions about freelancers and the industry as a whole. Kate runs Fuel, an independent producing company, and what they do is amazing. They are set up to support visionary artists to make the work that has a real impact in the world, the best kind of work for me. What Kate talks about here is how her work with Fuel, but also the task force, impacted the sector, how it helps freelancers, and how she thinks about making work. What I actually think this conversation sheds light on is her ability to take responsibility in a time of crisis, her ability to take risks when it's the most difficult time to do so, and through this, how she has become a beacon of hope for freelancers and artists. For me, she epitomises the exact type of person we need in the arts. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. I cannot wait for you to hear this. So thank you so much for joining me, Kate. Um, I've been really looking forward to getting you on the podcast. Um, The first... First task I like to do with most guests is uh, for you to tell us your life story to get an insight into who you are as a person. Um, so could you tell me your life story? I'm going to put two minutes on the clock um, and see how well you do. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Great. Um, so I was born and brought up in um, Edinburgh uh, in Scotland. Um, and uh, my parents worked in theatre um, they ran a political theatre company called 784 um, and I spent um, much of my uh, early years in the back of a transit van on tour in the highlands and islands of Scotland um, and then occasionally going to school in between tours um, uh, but yeah I, I went to a local primary in, in Edinburgh um, and then uh, I left Edinburgh when I was um, 18 to go to uh, university. Um, I went to Oxford and I studied English and French. Um, uh, so I had a year abroad, which was incredible, um, learning French and speaking, you know, working in a different country, which was really um, a big uh, experience for me. Um, and when I was at university, um, I... Um, did bits of theatre but I was at that point I was very keen to do something different from my parents like so many people of that age I guess um I sort of did some theatre stuff at uni for fun and that led to um meeting people who uh helped who then kind of steered me towards um job applications and I got a, a trainee producer job at Battersea Arts Centre when I was 22 um Uh, Oh, I missed out. I was a journalist for a bit. I worked for the Scotsman newspaper first. So that was in my trying not to do theatre phase. I worked as a journalist for the Scotsman and then I went to work as a trainee producer at BAC. And then in 2004, set up Fuel, which I've been running for 16 years um, as an independent production company. Um, And I'm based in London and also a bit Bristol um, and Scotland when I can. Amazing. And that's two minutes. (laughs) That's great. Um, so thanks for that. That's uh, a great pitch of where you've come from to when we meet you now. Um, 
So I guess my first, there's loads to unpick there. Um, I also feel like I should say the main thing about me now probably is that I've, I've got two kids and a stepdaughter. So um, family life is is big as well as professional life, but there wasn't time to get onto that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's an impossible task, isn't it? But um, I, it's interesting that you chose to focus on education first and, and, and then how that kind of, do you think that was important in like was it important that you went to Oxford for example to get the journalist position that might have fed into the the other positions or yeah and um, uh I mean probably I I I was based in Edinburgh um, and so um my journey into the Scotsman came about because I was looking for a summer job when I was still at university um, and I saw that they were advertising for some kind of administrative help during the festival. The Scotsman's always um, published a kind of um, festival supplement um, with lots of reviews and, and articles about the festival. And I think they needed somebody to just come in and do a lot of admin. So my first day, they just kind of put a pile of like 1300 press releases in front of me and sort of said, read through these and see what you think might be interesting or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so there was a lot of like it was a lot of admin and um scheduling and and organizing i wasn't like i didn't go straight into like writing for the paper you know that that came later and so i did i did that as a summer um a summer job um and learned a huge amount um from that and um, but i was kind of stuck in the in the office this from early in the morning till late at night while other people were going out and about seeing shows and one of my jobs was to schedule the reviewers going you know when they so trying to work out like if you see a show at two o'clock at this venue can you get to a show at four o'clock at this venue all of that and to fill up their schedules and and then basically I um I really enjoyed that and I got to know the team there and so when I finished university they said come back and do the same thing again for that summer uh, which was great because you know the summer after you finish uni you're always a bit like oh what am I going to do now so that just I initially was just going to be for the summer and then they asked me to stay on afterwards and and I was so I was working in a kind of general administrative role on the arts desk and after the festival it became broader than um than just that coverage and was about kind of arts and features and so I was kind of the most yeah the most junior person in that in that team but I imagine you now know what a good press release looks like right so having loads of them (laughs) absolutely I mean really really useful to understand how how that works from um the other side um and also um I guess because I'd done an English degree um reading and researching and 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 writing things up um at at pace um was was not too daunting um and that was that became when the role became permanent and I was there for about a year um uh that was that was kind of what I was doing so yeah researching becoming a sort of five minute expert on on lots of different things reintroduction of wolves to Scotland or you know whatever um somebody's opening a new jewelry shop or you know whatever it was um variety of things it was fun it was interesting you know you're and every day was different that's awesome but I think it's interesting looking back on particularly my journey like what was I doing five years or or whatever so so the 
the, that as one of your dots that you're connecting forward or like it's interesting to like unpick that um okay. and and also the friendships that you make along the way I mean my one of my really really close friends um started at the Scotsman the same time that I started more permanently and he's now the arts editor so he he's still there and he stayed in that job for uh well it must be 18 years now or something um and uh or 19 maybe yeah and uh and he's still there and he's kind of gone up through that organization whereas I've kind of gone off and done other things but um yeah the, the friendships and also the the things that you're learning at the time that you don't realize will be useful until later exactly so talking about you going off and doing other things um so from the Scotsman you then went and worked at the BAC Battery Arts Centre um as an assistant producer as a trainee trainee Trainee. (laughs) um so first of all how first of all why did you decide to move and what did you have to do to get the job yeah and so um I should say first of all it was a part-time job so I was also freelancing alongside it um the reason I decided to move, the reasons were all personal, actually. I had a boyfriend who was living down south and I was in Edinburgh, the Scotsman, and I wanted to be near him. Uh, and more significantly, um, ultimately, um, <laughs> my dad was um, uh, very, very poorly. He was very ill in hospital in London at the time. And I wanted to move down to to be with him and my mum. Uh, although, sadly, he did actually die just before I managed to move down. So... Uh, in the end, uh, that move was was uh, um, was about being being around with my mum to support her after that had happened. Um, so the reasons for moving were really personal. I think I also had a few friends who were in London and um, people that I'd done some theatre stuff at university who were kind of around and about doing interesting things. Um, I guess I had a slight sense that um, that journalism whilst I was really enjoying it um was kind of it felt a little bit like I was working on what other like what other people were doing rather than doing it myself if you know what I mean so um yeah there were a few reasons and in terms of how I got the job well actually in uh, a year about a year and a bit before that when I'd been looking for a job after uni because I thought I only had the Scotsman job for the summer I'd uh, spotted a, a trainee producer role there I'd applied for a bunch of things I think I applied for one of the kind of BBC trainee programs didn't get an interview or anything on that and um and, and I'd applied for this and I hadn't um I had an interview but I hadn't got it um and so when they advertised for another trainee um, I think they contacted people that they'd interviewed before. And so they sent me the the job spec saying, would you be interested? I think originally I'd applied for a full-time one and not got it. And um, so then I applied for, for this part-time one thinking I could do some freelance journalism or freelance producing. I didn't in the end do any freelance journalism in London when I came down really. Um, but I did um, bits of... Um, bits of producing and project management um, mostly in kind of little pub theatres and studio theatres um, trying to trying to make things happen <laughs> and earn a bit of money. Definitely so let, could I go into a bit more detail about like what how did you sustain yourself on a part-time 
on a part-time contract with BAC. So it's kind of, I think mo the most um, common model that I've come across is that you work part-time in the arts, you work part-time doing something else that almost pays for the arts work until you can get up and running. Yeah, I think my salary when I started at BAC was something like 12 and a half thousand pounds like pro rata or whatever it was yeah it was pretty low um uh well when I first started that job um in an unplanned way I moved in with my mum because my dad had died and she needed some company and support um I hadn't actually intended to do that um but I'm really glad I did because it was a really special and important time to spend with her um uh but I guess in the context of this conversation, it also meant that I was living rent free briefly, um, which I know not everyone can do. Um, uh, but uh, that was probably for about a year and then maybe nine months or a year. And then I moved into um, a flat share. Um, I rented a room in somebody's flat. Um, and uh, probably around the same time, I can't remember the exact date, sorry, long time ago, but um, probably around the same time, my part-time job at BAC became full-time, still really poorly paid, but full-time. Um, so uh, I was just about able to, to pay my rent and, um, and it was quite an absorbing job. Like we were all there all the time. It was a very exciting time at BAC because we we were really just starting the whole Scratch program. Um, the idea of Scratch was a new idea, which seems mad now. But um, and and there was a really great team and lots of really interesting artists. And so yeah, we were, I was sort of living and breathing it for a bit, um, either in the office in the day or in the bar in the evening and watching shows and stuff. So it was quite all absorbing. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, you know, it was. It was pretty um, hand to mouth, but the salary did just about cover the rent of a room. That's awesome. And in, in the same way that your time at the Scotsman helped you with, with skills looking back, what skills did you learn at BAC that maybe set you up for fuel or like what? Yeah. Oh, masses. Um, I mean, I guess the first thing that comes into my head actually is that I I had done I'd done an English degree and my dad was a writer and I'd been working as a journalist and so my um, understanding of theatre and my kind of uh, my work that far had been very text um, driven and um, at that time uh, BAC was full of um, artists who were working in different processes and devising um, and creating um, experimental work in different ways physical visual um sound based all sorts of different uh processes and and experiences for the audience and so that kind of that really opened my eyes up to the, like all of the possibilities of theater i still love writers and text but um that was a really informative time in terms of learning about all of the other aspects of theater and um, production um in a really hands on way because you know the the main house uh, at that point was what's now called the council chamber which is actually quite small it was 150 seats and then 250 seat studios so working there was it was very hands-on it wasn't as well funded as it is now so um we were you know really kind of trying to find ways to support artists 
practice to make things happen in those spaces um and I just learned a massive amount from all the artists that I work with and and my colleagues at BAC who you know from production managers and you know people who knew much more about the business of making theatre than I did um I think that was that was the main thing really awesome could we talk about fuel and um for those who have been living under a rock and don't know anything about fuel um what is fuel and um and who are you within it and what what do you stand for and all, all yeah. of it um so well fuel's an independent producing company and um and i'm it's uh one of its founders and uh, now it's uh, sole director and um, kind of chief executive um uh but it's it's uh what it is now i mean it's been on a long journey um it's fuel is 16 years old um so we started in 2004 and um it was uh, originally it was me and uh louise blackwell and sarah quelch now golding um who were all working at Battersea art center and we um got on very well with each other and we had as part of our remit at BAC and um, part of our job was to identify and support artists of vision I think they were called artists of vision um, and we formed some really strong relationships with some of those artists and so the impulse to set up fuel was partly about us um, being ready to kind of do our own thing and be independent and um and work beyond the walls of that building um and partly to do with the artists that we'd formed those relationships with companies like gecko and sound and fury and um melanie wilson and um mark murphy will adamsdale they were the kind of uh, early artists that we were working with um at fuel um so yeah so um they were having uh, opportunities coming up for them to maybe take their work to venues around the UK or up to Edinburgh and we wanted to support that so we kind of decided we decided to to try and set up a, an independent company that would support initially those artists and then um, see where we where we went um, and uh, so we did and we were really lucky actually in the in the setting up of it because um none of us could afford to leave our jobs without knowing that we had some income and um, so we received um a grant from the Gerwood charitable foundation uh, which is now called Gerwood arts and um, from a really extraordinary visionary funder called rowan dodds um who is sadly no longer with us but she um was um really visionary in supporting um new ideas I guess and so she gave us uh Derwood gave us a grant of 20 25,000 pounds I think a year for two years so what did that allow you to do uh the key thing it allowed us to do was to leave our jobs and know that we um had uh, enough to, to earn a salary for about six months each um and then we had to we had to be bringing in money somehow or other so our job was to kind of get on with fundraising and bringing together um tours for for some of the work that we were producing um so we so we kind of got on with that as quickly as we could um and we were lucky um in some ways that that the that time at that time there was more public subsidy available and there was more uh, i think space for innovation and even things like the cost of living in London was not what it is now. Um, so for some of the artists that we were working with, it was 
and for ourselves you know it was it was a more manageable situation than it is now for so many people I think um yeah, yeah. so so that's where we started and then obviously over the years fuel has evolved and grown and changed and um and we do all sorts of different things now as well but and and how did you um how were you making those connections with artists who I assume didn't have producers that's why they're working with you so how were you finding them how were you how were you decide were you deciding who to work with and who not to work with potentially or and how were you making those decisions yeah so to start with um the first artists we were working with were artists that we'd um already met uh as part of our jobs at BAC so and that um, that was just through going to see a lot of work, um, and then as time went on, uh, it's been it's been a mixture of people approaching us um, and and uh, and us all going to see lots and lots of work, um, and also sometimes doing open calls. Um, I think the uh, I suppose my feeling is that the only way that um, you can really decide if you want to work with an artist as a producer is by seeing their work so we we try and you know you could do a good interview or you could write a good proposal but that doesn't mean that you're a good theatre maker necessarily or um that there's that there's you've got something kind of interesting and exciting to to share with an audience um and I guess um what I'm what, what I'm always looking for is um artists who whose voices are underrepresented whose stories are not um, being told and who have um, I guess have some insight into the world that we're currently living in um, and the articulacy in their form whatever the form is to share that with an audience in a way that holds within it um, the possibility of change um, for the audience and um, that we might learn something through the experience of uh, of, of the work that they've made um, so yeah, initially, uh, me and Louise and Sarah were going to see lots of shows, and um, and now there's a bigger team at Fuel, and we we just get out and about and see as much as we can. Obviously, not at the moment, um, although we're all watching lots of stuff online, um, and listening to things and getting out and about where we can. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's always been about being trying to be clear about the work that we want to make. So we, it's all contemporary. It's all about. The world that we live in so it's socially politically culturally engaged um and and we've always had a focus um for a long time on underrepresented voices um in in the people that we choose to work with that's amazing you've kind of answered my next <laughs> questions in that that's an amazing answer um and so putting fuel to one side a little bit and talking about the task force and your involvement there Again, for people who don't know about the task force, what is the task force? Why was it set up and, and what's your involvement in it? Yeah, so um, to start at the beginning, mm. um, <laughs> FUEL um, has always had a very close relationship with freelancers, um, partly because you know we exist to support independent artists and so our primary relationships are with them um, and the people who they work with and who make um, their work possible. So just for example last year um, there were 18 staff at Fuel and we worked with 323 freelancers in the year. So a big community of freelancers um, across all of the work we do 
And so when lockdown happened, we were very worried and um, keen to, to meet with those freelancers initially to just um, reassure them that we would pay them for the work that they were expecting to do in the, in the kind of months from March to July. Um, but also to, to just kind of uh, communicate and, and have a conversation around the situation and how they were doing and what their, their individual situations was. So we, we had a kind of weekly meeting uh, on Zoom for our, all of anyone who'd worked with Fuel in the last three years, I think, was invited to come to that. And, um, and through basically through those conversations, they were articulating to me um, some things really, really clearly. And one of them was that they just didn't know what was going on. Um, there was not enough information and flow of communication and knowledge from organisations, from the government, from the Arts Council, from the DCMS to freelancers. So they just did, literally didn't know what was happening. And um, the second was, of course, financial insecurity and the fact that the self-employed income support scheme wasn't working for everyone. Lots of people were falling through the gaps. Um, or it, they were eligible, but for a very small amount of money, or whatever it was, um, and that there was a there was there was a need for advocacy around that scheme not being sufficient um, and not working for everyone. Um, and then the third thing was that they were just aware that conversations must be happening, but they weren't in those conversations and they weren't able to advocate for themselves. And in particular, like a really high number of of the freelancers that we were chatting to were not part of any union um, and weren't, weren't, didn't, ha- didn't feel that they had a voice. Um, so um, we, I, I took that away and, um, and talked to some organisations. Initially, um, a group of touring companies, um, which I set up early in lockdown because it felt like there were a lot of conversations happening about venues completely understandably because venues are having a horrendous time um but I wanted to talk to some organizations that were not building based um, and so I, I took that feedback as it were to that group and said um what should we do because something something needs to happen um, and we uh together we came up with this open letter to um, theatre and performance makers, freelancers, um, which uh, around 50 organisations signed initially, um, which basically addressed those three things. And the, the one of the ways that it sought to address them was to create a freelance task force. Um, and the idea was that each organisation signing up to the letter would pay for one freelancer for three months for one day a week um, to have time to help the flow of communication and information um, between organisations and wider circles of freelancers um, and the government and the Arts Council and everything else um, and to advocate around financial security and um, and and to advocate and be part of the conversations more broadly about how we uh, survive the crisis and and build back and recover, and um, so we and then we published it and then another hundred organisations signed up. So the, in the end there were 150 organisations um, and we had some job shares. So there were 169 freelancers who were engaged. Um, we did it all very very quickly because it was urgent um, and with that urgency inevitably comes 
compromises um some of which were were tricky um but uh on balance i would say that the key thing was that we um we decided that um representation and transparency would be our kind of guiding principles um so we managed to recruit um between us um a really diverse and um interesting group of people um uh with you know for example really high representation of working class people and um deaf disabled and neurodiverse people um which um and and a real geographic spread and a real range of of disciplines um and also ethnic diversity so it it felt um it felt like a really extraordinary group of people many of whom all of whom arguably would not have been able to do it if they hadn't been paid but they had some paid time with which they could do that and they were incredible and they spent three months working in all sorts of different ways um uh, they they decided very early on to work in a non-hierarchical way and so they found um a kind of modular model um where they they formed working groups around particular areas that they were interested in um, some of them were geographic some of them were art form and some of them were kind of specific areas of interest and they did research and they held meetings and they um they met with the arts council and uh, salt uk theater um and uh, equity and back to and 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 flowed as much information as possible between the freelancers more widely and those bodies in both directions um and they produced all sorts of recommendations for how organizations and freelancers could work better together um so it, it yeah i mean it, they, we also there was also a lot of learning about um particularly about access and inclusion um and i think <clears throat> we learned a massive amount about um what kind of scaffolding and and uh, facilitation and support um a group like that needs uh, not all of which was in place to start with which was tricky that's the thing i'm talking about being tricky we got there um or we got somewhere and we're still we're still learning um but uh yeah so now we're in a evaluation moment um of that kind of hopefully first iteration um uh we're taking a moment because it all happened so quickly and so intensely and because everything has moved on a lot in that six months um to really really properly with independent evaluators understand what happened what was learned what's come out of it and what uh, what needs to happen next for freelancers um, in the current context um, yeah and what that might look like going into 2021. That's amazing and uh, from from the outside the task force looked like this real beacon of of hope really in uh, in what was quite a scary time uh, you know, for me personally as, as a freelancer and for a lot of other it's like okay actually we are there are people that care <laughs> the, and we are we are doing the work around it um yes yeah, so, so that was really yeah, I mean, amazing to see well i just i guess the only other thing to say is it was really it was really important that the task force were really autonomous in what they did so um we did a lot of work around the setting up of it um and now we're making sure that this evaluation process happens but during the three months um the the organisations were not involved at all, so it was just um, up to the up to the task force to to spend the time that they had um, as they wanted, and they all interpreted that in lots of different ways, um, which in itself is really fascinating. But 
um yeah sitting sitting on the sidelines and seeing the social media and the website growing and the the open meetings they were holding and i i find it really inspiring to see that that kind of um connectivity happening and particularly at a time when people feel really really disconnected particularly freelancers there was a real energy to it i think um so you kind of briefly touched on it there about kind of what, now that you're evaluating stuff, but maybe maybe this is more of a fuel question than a task question, but um, I'm really interested to know what, how you're thinking about making work or how you're thinking about the industry now that COVID's uh, a, a reality and, um, and, and how, yeah, how are you thinking about the future of making work, especially touring work, or uh, yeah, yeah. How, what's your what's your mind like at the minute? Like what? Uh, yeah, these are big questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, well, we've um, we haven't closed, um, we haven't stopped. I think it's important to say that. Like, um, there's a lot of completely understandable um, language around reopening because lots of venues had to close and lots of activity had to stop. Um, but we've been active throughout um, this period. Um, initially, obviously, during um, when we were in total lockdown, um, that was um, digital online work and reimagining projects um, for uh, online Zoom performance or whatever. Um, and then since July, when it's been possible, we've been um, working in, in real life as well as continuing that digital work. Um, so we've been doing outdoor uh uh, and indoor socially distanced um, work as well um, and I guess on some level like we're always experimenting but this has felt particularly like a time where we've needed to to be innovative creative and inventive and you know I mean we're lucky in a few ways one is it's it's, it's not a great time to have a building actually it's really really hard if you have a building so for for those of us who sometimes, you know, miss the things a building brings, actually, um, it's good. It's good for us right now because we can flex our model, um, and because we work with artists who are used to bending the rules, who who find different forms to do things um, anyway, and who are making new work, um, they've been incredible at reimagining the ideas that they had um in different ways so we've just um last week um launched our kind of autumn season which is um nothing like the autumn season that we'd originally planned um but i think it's called come what may and i think that is the spirit of it because it's 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 sort of like come what may we will find a way to connect with our audiences somehow and to support artists and freelancers to do that um and I think there's something there's something to answer your question there's something in the season that kind of shows that spirit because you know we're doing like an indoor socially distance run of an evening with an immigrant at the bridge at the moment we're doing um outdoor performances um by a dance theatre company called Encounter in housing estates in November in Newcastle and London I mean that would be a mad thing to do even if there wasn't a pandemic um but we're doing that anyway um and then we're doing like we're creating a piece with Rachel Young for people to enjoy in their bathtubs at home we're doing storytelling around bonfires in Devon 
we were going to do that in Scotland as well, but we can't get a license to do that. So we're now delivering the stories by phone to people by their own firesides in the Highlands and Islands so that they can sit with a cup of tea by the fire and, and have an actor um, tell them a story down the phone. So, uh, you know, we really are like, and in Hartlepool, we're doing a, a, a community engagement project, which involves delivering monkey puppets and making kits and games and activities to um, families um, across the city and working with Northern College of Art as well. So, yeah, we're, we're sort of genuinely finding every kind of possible available route to engage artists and to reach audiences. And um, that's the plan for the rest of this year. Um, and then we're just kind of trying to work out what we can do next year. Um, we're really lucky um, to be one of the recipients of the Culture Recovery Fund grants that have just been announced. So that is like the most enormous relief. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even tell you. We just find out on Monday. So I'm still reeling from the relief of it. But um you know, we, we lost 73% of our income this year, over a million pounds in earned income. It was, um, you know, for booked tours and plans and everything. Um, so we've been, we've been hustling as hard as we can to stay afloat and to keep the team. And 50% of the team was on furlough. You know, it's, it's, been, um, it's been really, really, really hard this year. Um, but we've kept going and done whatever we can to help, you know, with um, freelancers writing hardship fund applications. I think my team worked on 54 hardship fund applications when the Arts Council put those out, all of which were successful, 100% success rates. So we're wow. very proud of that. <laughs> um, so, and, and we, but we were just starting to get to the end of our ability to or you know means end of our means end of our reserves end of everything <laughs> was sort of so the college recovery fund um has come like just not a, not a minute to um soon for us and it's just in time basically so it it means that um you know i can keep the team together till at least the end of march and we can keep working uh, beyond because now furlough's coming to an end um as well so We'll be able to avoid redundancies. We'll be able to um, create, you know, continue the work that we started, I guess, of remodeling and reimagining. Um, and a lot of that is to do with COVID, but some of it is also to do with the way the world has changed and we're thinking differently now about everything uh, from Black Lives Matter and anti the anti-racism movement and uh, social justice and community and localism and like all of the things that, access inclusion all the stuff that um covid has kind of shone a light on in a way um that we're now reimagining and everything we've learned about digital and you know it it's a lot <laughs> and there's still the climate crisis and all of those things that we're trying to deal with so yeah i feel like it's a time of real change and experimentation um and the challenge is how to make the changes that you want in terms of the the kind of um impact of the organization uh in a context where we've got to also find new ways to be sustainable um because we, ha we just haven't got the the income that we have always relied on um and that's where 
yeah being as creative and yeah being I guess being prepared to experiment and um if it works great and if it doesn't you know uh pivot as one of my board members said (laughs) the other day um if it's not working you need to pivot (laughs) and is that something is there something about fear of failure there or like um being being able to take a risk on something Uh, for me fuel often takes risks on work that maybe wouldn't get touched by some other safer uh artist is that is that some is there something to be said there about yeah about that being well that's it's quite a handy skill at the moment um being uh risk averse is is probably it's probably not the moment to be risk averse like (laughs) on some on some level um I don't know. I mean, I think everybody, every organisation has to respond differently. There are some organisations, I'm sure, for whom just not doing anything for a bit is the best plan. But for us, um, uh, we've always, as you say, we've always kind of taken risks and um, and we we exist to support artists and to reach audiences. So if we're not doing that, there's no point preserving the core staff. You know what I mean? I mean, I, you know, I, I, I want, I, I love my team and I want them to have jobs um but the jobs have to mean something they have to they have to be achieving those things so um yeah I think taking risks at the moment I mean it's harder to take risks when you've got no reserves (laughs) it's harder to all of that you know um but that's partly why where the cultural recovery fund is really helpful because it just gives us a, a kind of six month period when we can remodel and we can reshape and and all of that um it's amazing Congrats yeah. on the funding. <laughs> Thanks, my God, what a relief! <laughs> yeah, amazing. I'd like no, to... also. I should to say, I'm I'm like super aware that it's not reaching everyone, and that's also a responsibility. So, you know, when when I I think everyone in the team at Fuel has felt that from the minute of lockdown, just the the um the privilege of having a job, um, the privilege of of having any resource at all to to help people and how to how to use our time and what resource we do have to engage as many freelancers as possible. Um, We've kind of got a company policy to spend as little as possible on stuff and as much as possible on people at the moment. (laughs) So it's all those things. Um, That's amazing. I'd like to finish with three kind of three questions. They're borrowed from a guy called Tim Ferriss, who I think is just a master of question questioning. Um, the the first is we might have covered it already, but the first is in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? So that's maybe not even professionally. That's that's just a generic Kate question. Um, wow, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Um not working and looking after my children at the same time uh, I I think I was yeah I was I was a little bit guilty of like you know finding myself in that moment of like on my phone while I'm also trying to um be a parent and and doing both things badly basically um and I think I just I just had a moment I'm not quite sure when before this um this crisis when 
I just went, I need to try and not do that. And of course, maybe the reason that's in my head is that this, that's been extremely hard this year because the kids have, were at home so much and so homeschooling and all of that. But I guess in a way that that also meant that I had to kind of find a way of going, I am now just going to be doing phonics with my daughter or I'm now, I, I really need to shut the door so that I can, you know, redraft our cash flow um, or whatever it is, you know. So um, uh, I, I wouldn't say I've 100% achieved it, particularly not when the when the schools were closed. But um, when I when I do manage that, my quality of life, massively improves because I feel like I'm doing both of those things a bit better that's great um the second question yeah um what advice would you give to a smart driven university student about to enter the real world in inverted commas and what advice should they ignore um it does. I, I mean, it does feel like a really, really hard time um, to be entering the arts, the cultural sector. Um, but we need, we need it. We need, <laughs> we need brilliant, um, talented, creative people to work in the arts. So, um, I would say um, ask questions and. Um, yeah, don't be afraid to ask about things you don't know and have a mentor um, or many mentors. Um, I think most of what I've learned, I've learned from n- not minding saying, I don't know what that is. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, can you please explain that? Um, uh, or, or finding somebody somehow that knows something about the thing that I'm trying to do, whether it's, you know, the first time you're booking a tour just reaching out to to somebody and saying okay talk me through this what do I need to think about when I'm doing this um I just think having the humility to and I I'm, to be honest I'm still I, I still um I'm still I still have a mentor and I'm still constantly asking people who know more about things than me um older and younger um uh to to help me understand things so that would be my advice. And what advice should you ignore? What advice do they get? Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, what advice do you hear people give that you maybe disagree with in the industry? Yeah. Um, I, I, can't, I can't say that I hear lots of, of duff advice going around. I think mostly our industry is full of of really generous people who are prepared to to give really sound advice from their own lived experience. Um, I guess I would say in this time particularly, um, try and try and work out what it is that you really want to um, contribute to the world and um, and do whatever um, work will enable you to gain experience um, in that. Um, so the, the the sort of don't advice follow is um, is probably around sort of doing things that you know look good on a CV. Uh, I think there's a lot of maybe it's because everyone has to pay for university now, but there's a lot of uh, pressure to have a CV that looks good or to kind of build up CV points in some way. And I think 
that only really works if if you don't really care where you end up at the end of it but if you really think about what you want to be doing how you want to be spending your time then the journey will be more interesting and you'll probably get somewhere more interesting in the end very cool and last question which i think is very poignant this time um when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or you you've lost focus temporarily what do you do go for a walk um <clears throat> yeah i mean particularly at the moment because we're all kind of you know locked down and um spending lots of time staring at screens um and i think when i need to clear my head i need to like physically move and get fresh air and you know sit on a park bench or you know collect some conkers or something <laughs> you know uh just just get out of your uh environment and um or go for a run or something um just just something that uh allows you to zoom out and take a deep breath and kind of come back feeling clearer about what you're what you're trying to do amazing and where can we find you and fuel and and, and all the things that you do how can uh, we do you mean like on our website yeah <laughs> yeah uh, fueltheatre.com and um at fuel theater on various social channels um so yeah have a look check it out come and see something amazing and thank you so much for your time and it's been great to talk no i really enjoyed it thank you for asking me